Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology. Hey everyone, welcome back to Absurdity. Today we are back, Tony and I are back, and this time we're not talking about Adventist stuff. So to my entire audience, welcome back to uh, Standard Absurdity where we talk about uh, greater issues. So, Tony, thanks for coming back. Um, and though you get absolutely no credit other than in episode descriptions and in posts on Facebook and Instagram, um, know that I appreciate you and love you and, and care well, about you. Well, you have to be careful. By the time this airs, that might be happening. Nope, not happening. This is, so, not, this is never going to become absurdity with Ryan Becker and Tony Anoboli. I think absurdity with Ryan and Tony. I think that works. Nope, it it doesn't. I'm sorry. You know why it doesn't work? With Rony? No, you know you know why it doesn't work? Because mm -hmm. it means it means that um, <laughs> it means that some of the attention would be taken off of me. That's fair. That's what? I deserve no, no, no. all the spotlight, Tony. Was wasn't it? No, what was the name we we gave together? It was something with Becker. It wasn't Ryan. It was like it was like. Ro Roni or something. No, 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 not sorry. It wasn't right. It was Becker. So it was like Tucker or like our mixed name. Like if it was um, like oh, Brangelina or, you know, Benifer. It was something Benifer. along the lines of like, yeah. You remember that? Don't you remember Roni that? Roni or Tyen or, yeah. No, I, no, yeah. no, it was with Becker. That was the thing. It was like Becker and Tony and it was so weird. Or oh, maybe it was like yes. Bonoboli or. Bonoboli? That sounds racist somehow. Um, no, it was Becker. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. Beck or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, Anobic we tried. Anobiker. Yeah. All right. So to the 10 of you that are still here, thank you for sitting through huh. that. Hi, guys. Uh, Hear us, so, for we have spoken. So uh, about 10, oh, no, 11, 12 episodes ago, somewhere around there, we talked about mental health yeah. and um, yeah. we talked about suicide. And today will be no different. But before we do that, two quick plugs, just like it's going to, it's just going to be like this for the, about the next month. So just hang in there with me. Uh, first is for Patreon. 
please help us out with Patreon and support us. Even a dollar every month helps. Um, I know I sound like a broken record, but uh, it really does help keep the lights on in here. So please, please, please consider donating to the Patreon, patreon.com slash absurdity podcast. There are different tier rewards, and I'm currently revamping some of those reward levels. But every dollar goes right back into this podcast. It's what help, helps us improve things and get the word out. Right now, we are probably the second largest Adventist podcast out there, other than Adventist History Podcast with Matthew, Matthew Lucio. So uh, we're going to keep trying and keep growing. And one day, Matt, I will beat you. So just know that. That's my goal in life is just to win, win, win. No, I'm just kidding. I love you, Matt. Um, but yes, that is, uh, we, we are trying to grow this and make this better for you. So please consider donating financially and, and, and supporting this that way. Uh, the other thing, uh, young adults, 18 plus will be, uh, having a conference December 28 through 30. I am on the docket for doing a breakout session for that, but Alan Martin is speaking is in Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. I was going to say last time or when we when we made this plug, we didn't really mention where it was, so it's in Charlotte. No, I said Charlotte. I said Charlotte. Oh, did you? Oh, I missed it then. Yeah. I'm just um, done. But yes, so Charlotte, North Carolina, December 28th through 30. Um, consider going out. Registration is not that much, so um, it is it is pretty cost effective. But we would love to have you out there, and we are we are hoping to uh, do more for young adults across America. So, um, yeah, awakennc.com, and there will be a link in the show notes. All right, let's jump into this, Tony, shall we? Let's talk about mental health. Jump. Let's talk about jump. counseling and asking He's for help. That's where we're at. Jump, jump, jump. <laughs> um, so let's, let's, I guess let's jump into this. Tony, why do you think there is a, and this is, this is true, there is a stigma attached to counseling, to getting yeah. counseling, to getting therapy. So we're going to, we're going to dive right into this. Uh, and tonight we're going to get a little real. I know that when, when Tony, kind of brought this up, um, I decided that, yeah, I was going to be pretty pretty transparent about some yeah, of this stuff, here. too. Yeah. So, um, Tony, let's go with this. Why Why do you think there's a stigma attached? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, why is there a stigma attached to counseling? Um, man, there's, there's so many reasons for this. Um, I think generally there's a stigma because there is this sense that if you go to counseling, you're crazy. The counseling is for mm. people who are uh, cannot function in society. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. So a couple, a couple of reasons why I came up with the idea for this. I'm taking a class right now called uh, Counseling Youth and Young Adults. And the actual class itself, like the class period, is about counseling. In fact, when uh, we, you know, people were complaining to the PhD student who's teaching it because it's a grad level course. So, you know, they PhDs uh, teach you sometimes as well. They were complaining to him about it. And he goes, are you doing your reading? Because the reading is where you get the information. This class is about counseling each other. It's, you know, it's about actually getting together and, and learning how to be counseled um, and to counsel. It's not about learning techniques or information. And that was so interesting to me because so often when we talk about counseling, it really is that it's this informational concept of like, well, if I just give you the correct information, you will be okay. And that's not what it's about. And I think that's another stigma that's attached to it. It's like counseling is for people who don't have the correct amount of information or all of the skills to be able to manage in society. Um, I think the other stigma that's attached to it is counseling. People who go to counseling have to admit that they're broken. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and there's a huge stigma to admitting that you're broken in uh Christianity. Oh um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think in the human condition, but I think the secular and this is it's funny to me because I don't like separating Christianity and secular like we're all part of this. But the reality is the secular world because there is a Christian culture uh, the secular world does a much better job of being transparent about things. Like you look at the Me Too movement and things like this. Like they're they're talking about issues that the church should have been addressing way back. Like the church should have been on the forefront of the Me Too movement, not Hollywood. Uh, well, well, it is on the forefront of the Me Too movement now. To some extent. Well, now. No, I mean like it. In, in I don't accusing, mean yeah, in a negative yeah, it, way. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> that's I'm, what I meant. Yeah, I'm with you with that. Um, but I think the other thing that, that when it comes to a negative stigma that attach that that comes to it is a weakness. And we talked about this with mental with mental health. Like you're weak if you go to counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those are all kind of the negative stigmas that are attached to that, and why we have those negative stigmas because you're weak, you can't handle it, you can't hack it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Why, why do you think? No, I, I, I actually think this is now this is anecdotal. I don't have any stats to back this up. I haven't read about it. But um, I do think that that there is less of a stigma in more progressive and more urban environments. Yeah, I, um, I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah. So so, you know, you go out west, uh, California and the coast, you go to New York City, places like that. I imagine uh, that counseling and think, therapy I is big cities, too. So like yeah, Dallas just big and cities Houston. in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the more conservative and traditional you get, we're we're are you know, respect or regardless of your religion, um, you still end up with a more negative stigma about counseling. And I'd agree. I think people don't like to admit we're broken. I think there's a misunderstanding of what counseling is, what its purpose is. I think there is. And, and like the thing I love about counseling or therapy is it's not meant for you. If, if you're just broken, it's meant for you to stay not broken. (laughs) Um, you know, if, if everything's fine, it's a way to make sure that you're, you're staying fine. And, but yeah, there's this stigma because there's misunderstanding, and part of that was probably brought on by media, by popular, you know, uh, stereotypes in media and portrayals in media that did not lend any sort of help to the credibility and and possibility of counseling. But yeah, I think I think that's a big part of it. Um, is just a misunderstanding of of what it is and what it does. So, um, that's that's kind yeah. of where, um, that's where I would that's where I would kind of land. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, there's this false picture that America is this place where you, you know, build yourself up by your own bootstraps. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, there's this this false memory that we've created. I mean, similar to cowboys, like, you know, 80% of all cowboys were, you know, blacks and Mexicans. But it's become this, oh, yeah, there were all these white guys riding around. It's like, no, that was something that was created by Hollywood in the 1920s. Yeah. Like, if you ask most of the the actual cowboys, yeah, they were all like, you know, Juan and Jose and, you know, Leroy. You know what I mean? Like, they, they was not yeah. white guys. It was it was the majority. But that's the stigma that we've created. It's the, it's the false memory, uh, revisionist history that we've created for ourselves. And I think that same thing is, is attached to a lot of this American thing. Uh, this Americanizing of a good American, someone who pulls themselves up by their bootstrap. They don't need help. They don't need anything. They go to God because they, they choose to, not because they have to as a crutch. And mm. that's the problem that, that's the real problem that uh, 
I see as far as the fact that like we're creating, we, we've created a sense. Now, I think the other reason why it has some negative stigmas attached is that people don't understand the difference between counseling and therapy. Um, so we're going to talk about like psychotherapy, like the difference and what it is and like um, psychoanalysts and like kind of like I'll go a little bit into the history of that. Um, but that's for later. Like right now. So we talked a little bit about it. Um, Ryan, have you experienced any fear or negative feedback or just like stigma attached to, to like counseling? Um, experienced it for like experienced people pushing against me for pursuing you, it. You or maybe just yourself. Oh. Um, no one has ever, you know, looked at me odd for pursuing it. I've only pursued it one time. I'm currently looking for some, um, but I've only pursued it one time. It was a few years ago and I was looking for some counseling help to, uh, overcome pornography addiction. And I found a guy about 30 minutes or so away from Southern in Cleveland, Tennessee associated, I think with Lee, maybe not. I'm not trying to like, I'm not, I don't want to put this on Lee university. Not at all. Um, but I, it was up in Cleveland near that area. And so I met with this guy a few times and he was, you know, traditional hellfire brimstone Baptist, which is fine, except for we got about three sessions in. I'm talking about my problem. I'm telling him my journey and quick context for those of you who have only heard my voice on this podcast, don't know anything about me. You need to know that my dad died when I was 17. Uh, he had a heart attack, suddenly passed away. Um, he was found and pronounced dead on the scene. So, right. So there was no big fight. There's no hospital stay. He just died. All right. Now I know that was really depressing, but you need to understand that for what I'm about to say next. Um, I remember sitting in about third or fourth session and he says, Ryan, I, I, I you know, I want to make something really clear here because you've been experiencing, I'm 21 at this time. He says, uh, you know, you've probably felt a lot of guilt over this, a lot of shame over this. And I want you to know this is not your fault. Now, because of the context I just gave, as many of you have probably figured out where this is going, he proceeds to say, this is not your fault. This is your dad's failure to parent you properly. And this is your dad's fault. And he will, he is standing, is standing, not will stand, is standing before God in judgment for his failure to protect you, to parent you right. Um, and this is, this is his fault that you are in this mess. It is not your fault. Which, which goes against scripture. By the oh way, yeah, absolutely. Because it's like yeah. I will not I'm hold the, like, the sins of the fathers against yeah. the son, you know. But but well, yeah, like beyond well, the beyond the fact of that that's not okay. Like that's not even biblical. No, well, and here's the thing: like in the moment, I was so shocked, I didn't know what to do. I just never went back to the guy, nor did I ever pay for that session. But and I, he didn't push the fact that I didn't pay it. I think he knew. Um, but like what got the, me was like sure when I was him like walked away, told yeah. him. The fact that, yeah, okay, maybe I had too much unsupervised time on the computer, or maybe I, you know what I mean? Like, as a kid, sure. I'm 21 now. This is on me. You know what I mean? Like, this is this is not on him, no matter what you want to say. This is on me. And that's why I'm here trying to fix this, is because I'm trying to own my problems. Um, and, and so, like, there was fear that I had, and that fear was very much realized. Um, and I don't say, I don't share that story to discourage anyone from getting counseling, but I also don't want anyone to go into counseling, think that it's going to be a perfect match right off the bat. Every Sometimes it takes, yeah. you know, yeah, just like the time. just like it's not the first doctor you go to is the perfect doctor. Um, my mom went to a doctor, I think, and they and they took X-rays of her lungs and thought that she had pneumonia. Two months later, we find out she has lung cancer, and they missed the tumor on the original X-rays when it would have been stage one, and now it's stage four. You know, that was that was all that was my senior year. My mom's alive now. We're good, but like. 
sometimes it takes a couple counselors to get it right. Sometimes it takes a couple doctors to get it right. That's okay. Um, I think one of the the big things about counseling as well is, (coughs) yeah, it should (coughs) don't look for an immediate effect. Um, Mm. But also if it's not working, it's not working. That's how you know counseling is, isn't working when it's not working. Um, Yeah. And you just kind of know. Yeah, and you know, like, it's not working for you. That's the, this is the other thing. When we were talking in this class, they were saying, you know, what's the ultimate purpose? It's not to heal them. It's not to, you know, bring to, it's to give them the tools to, well, we'll talk about that a little bit when we get, but it's to give people tools to be able to fix things in their life or to, to access uh, ways to fix things in their life. And it's like, you how do I say this? Like, if it's not working, you're doing it wrong as a counselor. Like, that's on you as a counselor. None of them. I mean, if they're not like if the client, that would be us, is not doing <laughs> what you're doing. You know, they're not doing their homework or whatever. I mean, it's like music. You know what I mean? Like, you're never going to learn the song unless you practice it. Um, or our Mozart who needed counseling, a lot of counseling. Um, but like, that's the thing is like, if you're if you're not participating in it or putting any effort. Yeah. You're not getting anything out of it. But at the same time, if you're putting in the effort and nothing's happening, you might need to switch counselors. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think, look, bottom line, like with counseling, um, there is a fear too of, uh, like I have a fear right now. Um, this is one of the things I agreed to be real on is, uh, the fear is that I didn't have enough time to process the grief that happened to me my senior year. And I am afraid of what, what is there. Um, I'm afraid of what is unprocessed. And actually this past opening October, that, that box, yeah. Um, opening up that box is really scary. Um, but I know I need to, because if not, and here's, here's, I think here's the kicker. I, I hadn't, I had thought of it this way, which is why I eventually went to counseling for pornography too, but I'd never really articulated it this way until I saw it in a Reddit comment actually. Um, and this is the most profound Reddit comment I've ever, I've ever encountered. And Reddit I wish I had saved win. it. Um, but it was someone asking about counseling and this is this is what pushed me over, right? Everyone sees counseling as this thing that is is um, this scary thing or this thing that's going to tell you you're broken or whatever, right? All the negative stigmas. But ultimately, um, the reason that I want to go to counseling is so that my future wife, my future family, my future friends, my current friends don't have to deal with the grief that I haven't processed. And ultimately, going to counseling, if you have something that's going on, if something is going wrong, Going to counseling or therapy is the greatest act of service that you can do for your friends. Yeah. Because and, and here's, here's yeah. your, yeah. And, and family, because your friends and family are there to, yes, walk through life alongside you, be there for you. But their job is not to specifically help you work through those problems. And we, what we do is we end up relying so much on our friends and then we wonder why our friends pull away. It's because they don't have the training. They don't have the tools. They don't have the emotional energy to com- continue investing in our lives. And so friends pull away because they just don't know what to do. But when you go to counseling, you're going to someone who is trained. It's literally their job, <laughs> like, right? It's literally their job and their entire purpose in your life, their entire purpose in your life is to help you through whatever it is that you're going through. That's their entire purpose. And, and, and they don't complain about it. 
they are happy to do it. That's why they yeah. dedicated their lives to doing it. Like that's amazing news that I can have someone in my life that is completely dedicated to helping me succeed and get through this difficult time. And someone who has the tools, the knowledge and the training to actually do it well. Yeah. That's I think that's huge. That's the key part is they actually have training in it. And again, that doesn't mean that every, just because you have training doesn't mean you're good at it. A or B that you use that training correctly, you know, B, um, at the same time, anyone who's ever done it, let me put it this way. Who would you trust to actually fix a, 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 um, cavity in your tooth, a dentist or your friend, Bob, who has had cavities in his tooth before? Now, Bob might understand the process. What if Bob is the dentist? No, Bob is not a dentist. Okay. He's just your friend, Bob, right? Bob might even have rudimentary dental skills because he's a, I don't know, like a, he makes, um, what what are they called? Crowns, you know what I mean? Or whatever. But he's not a dentist, you know what I mean? Or a dental assistant, a dental technician, whatever you want to call it. Like he's not, who who do you want rooting around in your mouth? Or better yet, let's, let's put it this way, better yet. Who do you want doing a colonoscopy? <laughs> Fair. Who do you want doing surgery? A guy who enjoys sticking cameras up your colon yes. or a doctor. <laughs> and those might be the same, but <laughs> the doctor at least has training. Yep, that's fair. Right? Well, and here's the thing too, like if you're you're going into surgery, who do you want opening you up? Someone who knows what to look Open for? Open yeah. Do you want someone like there was actually all right now this is gonna be bad, but this actually goes along with our point still. There was a there was a surgeon recently who accidentally removed a kidney from one of his patients instead of a tumor. Like he thought uh, it was a tumor. And it was because the patient had a rare condition where the kidney was in the wrong spot. And uh he thought it was a part of a tumor. Now, to be fair, that does that that still Brings us to that still is, is I know that almost shot us in the foot, but here's the thing. Not every doctor is as good Not at what they do. Not every doctor is as good at what they do. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a couple. Uh, yeah. Granted, you can't put a kidney back in, but absolutely you can. I mean, you can. You can it just won't work. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could put it there for you a can, step. You can stick it's it back in there. Do you want a second appendix? At that point, <laughs> it isn't. Why do I have back pain? Because he stuck a piece of rotted meat inside you. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that's. So, um, <laughs> I, I think, yeah. Uh, and, and so, so to me, I think to kind of understand what we're doing, I think we have to understand the difference between counseling and therapy because that's idea of counseling is what we're talking about right now. Somebody who's dedicated to help you get through this, this time, right? A grief counselor or just a, a marriage counselor, something like that. Somebody who's here to give you tools, a counselor and a therapist are two different things. They're yes. similar, but they are not the same. Yes, absolutely. A, a, and it's like a psychologist and a, and a uh, or a, a therapist and a psychi- uh, psychiatrist. Psych- psychi- psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. Thank you. I was going to say yeah. psychiatric. And yeah. I was like, that's not a thing. Um, yeah. A psychiatrist who can actually prescribe medications to you, whereas yeah. a counselor can't prescribe medications, no. but they can still help you through your problems. Yeah. But they can't actually make a, diagn- a medical diagnosis. Yeah, a medical diagnosis. And, yeah. No, 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 no for the, sure. That is the and, difference. And they're not trying to. Like, no. a psychiatrist can diagnose and help you, but all psychiatrists are not counselors. Yes. So a psychiatrist might not be able to give you the life skills to be able to cope. They can 
make the voices go away, but not teach you how to live with them. Yeah. Or, or live without them. You know what I mean? That's the difference between a counselor and a therapist. And the other thing we need to talk about is psychoanalysts. Um, a lot of people think counseling is you sitting on a couch, having your dreams interpreted. Um, so just so everyone is aware, the idea of psychoanalyzation came from, um, I almost said Nietzsche. <laughs> uh, it came from Freud. Um, and Freud believed... It came from Salvador Dali. <laughs> that was more LSD. Um <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, so, so with, um, with a, a psychoanalyst, they believe that your subconscious, your dreams are reflections of your subconscious. And it's all based on, um, a lot of the repressed sexual desire and all this fun stuff. If you research Freud, uh, Freud, you'll, you'll find out about it. Um, basically this is what Freud had some good ideas, but the problem is he studied what he considered basic humans at a mental ward a nut house is what they called it back then um and then he was like this is how the basic human is and i go well of course you're gonna see really weird whacked out things in a nut house like you know what i mean like you went to a place it's literally called a madhouse like he literally went to a mental institution and found people who were dying you know like a uh, a uh, uh, mentally disturbed severely mentally disturbed and then said well this is how the the, every human mind works. So that's the first problem with Freud. The second problem with Freud is that he comes at it from a purely subconscious. Your subconscious has stronger um, power over your conscious mind. And that's where Jung comes comes in. He, he did a lot on that. You have Abraham Maslow and his hierarchy of needs. and basically, But what Freud did was basically open the door for the idea that there is a, something beyond simply our conscious mind. That was his great improvement on this, um, that our past affects our future and our present. And that's a great concept. It was great. Now, some of the other stuff, eh, he's a little little hopped up on Coke. Um, again, do your research. Uh, but I think he had some good points. Counseling doesn't believe that your subconscious is stronger than your conscience, but it does believe, it does go with that idea that there are ways and structures and certain uh, things you can do to help cope with the world around you based on your personality, based on your past experience, based on um, the trauma in your life. And that if we work with those things uh, from a non-chemical standpoint, right? This is just purely, yeah. um, you know, life, uh, that you can work with those things and get the skills to be able to to deal with this on your own. That's what counseling is about. Therapy is that you have, it's beyond that. It's There is something that is beyond your control that you need help with. So that's uh, drugs for psychology, uh, psychiatrists. Um, that is people who are having like severe nightmares and issues with that. You know, they, they might want to go to a, a psychoanalyst or a therapist, you know, to really deal with that uh, severe, severe trauma. Um, yeah. that's a therapist thing. That's not count. Counseling won't help with that. You know, therapy, it, it will, but it won't be as effective as therapy because you have to go through some really drastic, uh, measures, um, to help with that. Um, so those are two separate things. So separate those out. And I think a lot of the negative stigmas that we get about counseling comes from therapy, ironically. Um, and I'm not saying that therapy is bad either. But I'm saying that counts. Everybody needs counseling. 
And the reason why I want to bring this up, because I believe that everybody is broken. I believe that that's what the Bible tells us. You know, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, every single one of us is broken. And because every single one of us is broken, every single one of us needs help repairing that. And a lot of that is spiritual. But I also think a lot of that doesn't necessarily just have to be spiritual. I think there are also, I think that the Bible has given us ways to be able to learn how to cope with that beyond simply reading the Bible. Does that make sense? Yeah. So no, it does. Uh huh. Well, go ahead. Okay, but uh, but I I agree with you. I just think that everyone is broken, and I don't need a biblical reason for that. I just need to look at the world. You know what I mean? Like I, everyone is adulting, and everyone's figuring it out as they go. No one knows what they're doing. Um, and at least counselors and 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 psychiatrists and otherwise uh, might be trained in in recognizing some of the patterns that lead to the personal decisions that you make. You know, they not be able to make they might not be able to make systemic changes in the world make it a better place. And they don't certainly know everything and they can't help every single person. You know, one counselor can't help everyone, but certainly I think, uh, I think everyone could use it because everyone could use a little guidance. No one knows everything. And just having that extra perspective in your life, whose entire, once again, entire purpose is to give you that perspective and to uh, like, it's their entire, their entire purpose is to serve you. Like, why are we not utilizing that? Even and I was telling I was talking to a friend about this who who she's been going through a lot um, recently and and uh, dealing with a lot of anxiety and issues like that and she's like man counseling just helps so much and I go you know what beyond even the even the 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 techniques and everything even just as a as a a steam release like a pressure release you know what I mean as just a way to vent counseling is helpful just getting it off your chest to a stranger who's not judgmental who isn't you know what I mean. Because that's the yeah. thing, a counselor's not going to sit there with you and go, I think this is because, of the, tell me about your, your father. I think he has, no. I mean, they might go to your, I mean, it might be because your dad, you know what I mean? Like, it might be because yeah. of issues with your father or your mother or whatever. But it's more along the lines of, let's let's make sure you don't feel this way. Let's get this anxiety out. And then we can talk about how to get it not coming back. And that would be dealing yeah. with the deeper issues, right? This is a, tell me about your childhood kind of a thing. But they're not interested in figuring out the patterns of it. That's more psychology. You know, psychology is how our brains work. Um, anyway, so the point being that um, I think I think it's just really important for us to to get that idea that we need that. We all need this. Um, and and it brings me to the main point that I wanted to ask about this is like why is it so hard for Christians specifically humans yes but Christians specifically to ask for help? Oh man, you you made it general. Now I can't make it personal. Um, make it personal. <laughs> nope, too late. I want to make it general now. You've made it general. This is safer for me. Um, <laughs> I don't have to be as vulnerable. Um, I think it's I think because of the negative stigma. A I think it's hard to ask for help. Um, I think uh, B everyone feels a pressure to. Uh, succeed, be successful on their own. And here's the other thing too. It's the American dream to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, get to work and be successful. And it all falls on you. And so you needing help, you needing assistance in any way, shape or form is seen as weakness. It's seen as you're not good enough. In fact, uh, the fact that, so the fact that you need help is admitting you're broken and you don't want anyone to know you're broken. And it's not even that you may know you're broken. Sure. You might know you don't want anyone else to know. And so you just keep bottling it up and you keep dealing with it. And honestly, like I've been there for a long time here. Now I can make it personal. Like 
one of the things I realized this October about myself, this October was eight years since my dad died. And it was one of the hardest, um, it was one of the hardest years, one of the hardest like anniversary times, uh, that I've, that I've had since that happened. And I learned more about myself now looking back over the last eight years than I, than I had prior. And basically what I learned about myself is I, um, I became less of a fly by the seat of my pants kind of guy and more, uh, tightly controlled on, you know, any factors that go into a trip or logistics and details. I want to know when we're leaving. I want to know when we're coming back. I want to know all these different things. And the reason is, is because I have this deep seated fear of not having control over my life because my senior year, I had so much stuff happen to me that I didn't have control over. And in fact, one of the things I get slammed on this a lot is I used to make, and, and occasionally it still comes up sometimes. Um, I used to make what I would, what I would call, uh, like a, um, there's no, there's no actual good way to put this, but dead dad jokes. That's the, that's like, and it was my way of, it wasn't laughing at me for having a dead dad, but it was this, it was this way of, of, of me kind of raising a proverbial middle finger to the universe, right? Saying, excuse me, saying you don't get to, can you don't get to control my life, how I react to this. You may get to control circumstances, but you don't get to control how I react. And so yeah. I'm choosing to flip yeah. the narrative. And it was a matter of control, and I have this fear of not having it. And for me, like, asking for help is me saying I don't have control over the problems that are in my heart and the grief that I feel, the pain that I feel, all of this, the the actual inadequacy that I feel. And, like, right now I'm sitting I, – I, I moved to a much healthier spot here in Collegedale – mentally right i'm surrounded by people i know by friends i have a life now here's man i will i this just happened two weeks ago i spent all of saturday with people i had church with sabbath school with people um i had um a potluck with a whole huge group of young adults it's the first time i've had that in a lot in 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 two three years and then at that night um that night i got to go to an ep release show for a great friend and got to see a part of his dream come true and got to experience that with him and then I got to have a game night with some people I know as well, people I'd reconnected with. Best day I've had in years, honestly. Like, best day. And the second I walked out the door that night, I felt this terrible shame and guilt and depression come over me like, um, like I had just had the worst day ever. All of the goodness, all the happiness and the joy from that day was sucked right out of me. And all I could do was just feel terrible about myself. Like I had messed up, like I was a failure, like I was, and, and it was that, that depression coming out of being alone for the last two years that still made me feel like I wasn't good enough or that I didn't match up enough. And yes, it's very hard for me to talk about this on this podcast, but I'm also really good at compartmentalizing. So that's why I haven't broken down, but I am afraid. Like I'm afraid to sit down in front of a counselor, talk about this and just break down. I don't want to break down. I want to have control. And so I think there is this, it, it is, I think, a bit about control. And maybe I'm projecting that onto other people. Sure, I, I, maybe a little. But I do think it's about control. We all want to control our own lives. And, and admitting that we can't is a problem. I mean, I don't, I don't think, yeah, you never want to speak for other people. I think that's a, a safe place to be. But I, I, I think that's a human condition, you know. Um, yeah. You know, we went to school. One of our professors mentioned this, you know, every all heresy stems out of the need to be in control. All sin stems out of the need to be in control. I mean, you look at the original sin that Satan did. It was it was I want to be God. I want to control this. 
Legalism, what is it? I want to control God loving me. God, you have to love me because I've done all these good things. And you look at, you know, liberalism, the flip side of that, right? I get to do what I want with my life and then God still gets to love me. I guess I still get to get heaven because God loves me. So I get to live my life the way I want on my terms and I still get the benefits of being mm-hmm. a Christian. All of that, it all stems out of the need to be in control. In fact, that's why Paul was so, he's like, no, 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 you need to die to self, you know? Um, Paul's entire message is one of release, letting go, not being in control, you know, for you are not your own, you know, your body's a temple of God. You're not your own. You've died. You know, you've been crucified. And so I think control, absolutely. I think that is such a real, it's a human condition. You know, we've been, we've been wanting to be in control since the garden, since literally Adam and Eve. So yeah, I'm with you on that. I think the other thing for me, um, you know, since you've been so vulnerable, you know, for me, when I really struggle with uh, depression and anxiety and panic attacks, um, mine really stems from this uh, uh, really deep-seated young... My, my trauma all happened at a very early age. And interestingly, one of the things, <laughs> one of the things that, um, that came up when I was going through counseling was the fact that I hadn't processed all of those things as a young child. I just held them down and kind of put them in the back corner of my head without even realizing it. And then trauma that I went through in high school, I dealt with then. And trauma that I went through as an adult, I dealt with then at that point in that moment. But I hadn't touched any of this stuff. And it was just sitting there in a dusty, dark corner until, you know, a big kind of, I got shook up and it released, it just opened that chest. You know, you just think about this, this chest you know, this black, you know, wooden chest that just has this belt over it, right? And it's cinched down tight and it's got all this evil just waiting. And then there's this earthquake and that chest gets broken open and all the evils get loosed upon the earth. And that's kind of what happened. It was like all these repressed things built up. But beyond that, it's it's not even that as much as I have like a serious inferiority complex that built up from being a young um obnoxious ADHD kid with no friends, which regardless of whether that was true or not, that's how I felt. That's how I remember it. And so I remember being very lonely. I remember not having, you know, everyone, you know, all the movies and books and everything, they always had this best friend, you know, the, Oh, this, this is Gary, my best friend, or this is Beth, my best friend. I was like, I don't have that. I don't know. What's that like? Mm -hmm. Um, and it ironically it wasn't until college when, you know, you and, and uh, our friend Hillary and, and Steve, like you guys, it was like, oh, this is what a best friend means. It's like you can completely be yourself around somebody and they not only understand you and have things in common, but they love you for who you are, you know, not because you can give something to them or you bring something to the table, but rather because of who you are as an individual. And so because it took me so long to get there, that idea that I'm not good enough that I have to work twice as hard or if I don't see something as, as going to come out with a, um, uh, 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 an outcome that I, I feel I'm capable of, I'll quit. Like I'll quit a project if I don't think it's going to be perfect. It might still be if I put the effort in, but if I can, if I just simply sense that, well, I don't think this is going to be as good as it could be. I just quit. Well, thanks for not quitting absurdity. Yeah, I know, because I think it's amazing and great. And and mostly it's because my name's not on the cover. So if this goes horrible, (laughs) no one will know. That's true. That's fair. 
I, I, that's all Ryan back. I don't know. Yeah. Who's this? I don't know. I, I don't I'll have to, do, I'll have to delete a few episodes <laughs> from the, that Ryan <laughs> guy sucks. He's the worst. That is a Ryan guy. Um, no, but like, you know, for me, I think that that's that big deep seated pain that comes from as a child, not dealing with that trauma. Um, and so for me, yeah, when I, when I went to counseling, I definitely experienced that idea of it's so hard to ask for help because sometimes you don't even know you need help. Yeah. You know, for me, I didn't uh, know I needed help until the wheels came off. And I think that that's big too. Like, um, it's a, a, a really good mentor of mine shared a time where, uh, her husband was dealing with, uh, was, was reeling from the loss of his dad. And she told me, um, and Tony, you know who this person is. Um, she told me that one day she was walking through Target and she uh, lost her husband. She didn't, she didn't know where she was, where he was, so she went searching. Turns out he had seen some random toy in an aisle and had picked it up. And when she rounded the corner, she just found him weeping in a in an aisle at Target because grief just hits you at the most unexpected times. And it was this instance of like, yeah, no one knew they needed help. And, and I think that's what counseling can do, too. It can either confirm that, yeah, things are going pretty good for you, or maybe there is something that you don't know about yeah. that could be impacting things. Like, I have this huge need of, for me, I, and I'm starting to recognize this, and maybe it's wrong, maybe I, maybe, uh, and maybe when I go to counseling and find someone here, then uh, that'll change, but um, I have this huge need for external validation. Uh, my Enneagram type is a type three. It's the performer. And external validation is huge to me, and I hate that that's a thing. Like, I feel actual more I really more think shame. you did a good job saying that. I really want to just um, validate that you said that really thank well. Thank you. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. But I have this constant need to feel enough, and so what ends up happening is in my relationships, I end up doing all these extra stuff that I don't need to do, and I end up doing it way too quickly because I want them to see me as enough. And I want to, and here's the thing, I want them to, by my performance, see that I'm enough before they get to know the flaws. Right, I want to be good enough before they get to know who I am. That when they get to know who I am, they're over. They're willing to overlook it because of all the good I did elsewhere. And I don't. It's not an intentional thing. I don't sit there and go, "Yeah, I'm going to do this." It's just a pattern that I've noticed in myself. Um, but I didn't notice it until now. And so start, for up until now, talking and yeah, yeah. And, and it's frustrating and it's angering and I feel like I can't stop myself from from overperforming and from trying to do all these things. And sometimes I get burnt out in life because I take on too many projects because I'm wanting that affirmation because I'm craving for someone somewhere to tell me that I'm good enough and mean it and say it without me having to have prompted them to say it. You know what I mean? Like now if someone who listens to this podcast well, goes, I hey, think- Ryan, I just want you to know that you're good enough. I'm going to be like, cool, thanks. But well, not, I not even that, even if they do say that, you feel like you haven't earned it. So you're like, yeah. well, that has to be disingenuous because I didn't do anything deserving of that. And it's funny because I fully believe that, like, at least cognitively, believe that, yes, I am absolutely good enough in the eyes of Jesus. And yes, I have value and in, in, in innate worth because he created me. And I preach that all the time. And maybe it's because I'm trying to make my heart believe it. I don't know. Um, it's just, it feels so, that's, that's, it's another source of shame added in, right? Like, I know where I should be and I can't get there. But asking for, and, and I don't want to have to ask for help. I want to be able to say, yes, I did this all on my own. And I need to accept that that's not the case. And that's why I'm looking for, I've already accepted it. I just haven't found someone yet. Um, 
But th- I think that's something that that w- that a lot of people struggle with. I know that's my struggle, and all I can really do is speak to my own struggle here. I'm not trying to make this like episode about my struggle, but I think it's also important that people who listen to this don't think that I have it all together. Um, I don't want anyone to think that you have it all together. Um, you oh, know, no, I do I, have. A, I totally have it all together. I have a perfect beard and perfect hair, but that doesn't mean I have it all together. Yeah, no. Oh. I mean, clo- I am really, really close. No, I absolutely <laughs> do. And I think that's why we need to talk about it because I think this is the other thing we've talked about like mental health and transparency and a lot of the different stuff. But one of the things that to me that I was going through is like, how do we make our churches a safe place where people can go to ask for help? Cause you know, I was talking about this the other day with a friend of mine, again, who's the same one who's going through a lot. And she was talking about how good it was to go to therapy just to feel not you know, no judgment. And I go, shouldn't churches be that way? And she thought I was saying like, go to church and just air out your dirty laundry. And I go, no, 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 no. But that same feeling of, I can be my absolute self here and know that I am not, I can't do that outside. I can't do that to the, but I can do this here. Sometimes we can't even do that with our own family, our blood family, our blood relatives, but I can do this with my spiritual family. I can do this with my church. I can be open and honest and upfront with my absurdity audience. Hear us for we have spoken. We can do this. That meme will never die. Because, because we know that they are Christians and that this, because this is my church family, they will not only love me and accept me for who I am, but they will not judge me for my mistakes. And I can come to them and say, I have a drinking problem or have a, um, a sex addiction problem or I have a video game problem or I'm just feeling depressed or I'm feeling anxious or I, I'm not good with my finances. I can do whatever and come in and they're not only going to not judge me, but help me recover and do yeah. good. You know, and and I, I, and that's not to say that that should replace counseling at all, but shouldn't that be how our church is? So that's my question. It should is, be one more addition to positive yes. mental health. Because yeah. every, by the way, every counselor is going to tell you the best way to get over this. The best statistics show this. The best way to get over this is to have a safe community that builds you up. Yep. So good on you. Christianity for figuring that one out two thousand yeah. years ago. So how do how um, do we do this? What are some steps we can do so to make I churches think, safe? I honestly. Um, I know this isn't the bulk of our listeners, though a lot of pastors I know do listen to this. Um, I think it does. I think it can start with the pastors. Uh, one of the things I realized, and I and I hated when I was a pastor, and I tried to fight against it as much as possible, is pseudo transparency from the pulpit. Um, and what this is, and it's created by the by our fear of the judgment of members. A lot of jobs have been on this, and and honestly, yes, the line between dirty laundry and transparency is very thin. I understand that. But pseudo-transparency is this, and everyone has heard this sermon. It's when the pastor goes, yeah, you know, I'm just like you. I one time was less than happy with my kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's it's this way of us saying, yes, we've sinned, but I can't tell you how badly I've sinned. Otherwise, you wouldn't trust me as your pastor anymore. So I have to give we you can, this thing of like, like, this I one time I was... And then, like, raise our eyebrows and, huh, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. nod, wink, wink. Yeah. We can't actually tell you what we did. Uh, because we're afraid of how you'll receive us. And so I do think um, to pastors, and this is why I think it's even more important for pastors to have counseling, because you need to be secure enough in your own flaws to be able to talk openly about them if you want people to talk openly uh, with you about what's going on in their lives. And so by having counseling and having therapy and working through that, you can talk about those things and and do it well and do it effectively and know what that line is and tread it well in your life because the line is different for every person. But I think, I think that's part of it is I think pastors need to start being more transparent about their experiences 
And that involves a greater conversation with your church to lead them through how to respond to that transparency and how to respond um, without judgment. And I get that there are some churches and some pastors where that's just not possible right now. Wholly understand that. Not talking to them. <laughs> not talking to them. I thought you were going to be like, holy cow, they cannot share this. <laughs> yeah, they, they, but that's true. They can't. There are some churches where you can't, you will get eaten alive. I get that. And it's terrible. So, but I do think that's, that's one of the first steps. I think that it can absolutely start with the pastor and church leadership, elders, anyone who actually takes the pulpit. I think that's, that would be where I would, that would be where I would start at least from the church side. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think the other thing, which I think would follow up on that is creating a culture. I'm, I'm all about culture, man. I'm all about being intentional about what, cause you're either, cause your church is going to have a reputation and a culture. You're either going to be the one who controls it. You're gonna, either going to be proactive or reactive. That's the difference. Like your church is going to be known for something. And if you're not careful, it's going to be something that's negative. You know, oh, that's the church that, you know, fired the one dude or, or, I mean, not for nothing. Look at Mars Hill. What is Mars Hill known for? Right. Look, you know, and, and that's just the reality is, are you proactive or are you reactive? And so for me, I think a lot of times creating a culture in a church, and that does start from the top down, um, but not always, um, creating a culture in the church, uh, I think is a huge part of that too, where, where it's understood. Like for me, another one, and when we talk about this as an example, but for me, I think visitations shouldn't just be done by the pastor. I think visitations should be done by the church. And we've, we've outsourced a job to a professional that should be an environment. Um, you know, I had, I had members come up and like, how come you've never visited me? And I'm like, oh, are you feeling lonely? Are you feeling unneeded? Well, then who have you visited? Who have you blessed? Who have you gone out yeah. and seen? Now, I, you know, if you really need me, I will show Pastor, up. Pastor, it's not my job to bless people. <laughs> but that's my thing. It's like, if you really need me, I'll show up. Like, call me. I mean, if there's an emergency, if there's a problem, you know, that you feel you can't deal with, call me. Yeah, I have training for that. But if you're just lonely... Go visit somebody because God yep. speaks through you just as much as he speaks through me. And while I'm out visiting you, I'm not, I'm taking time away from something that could drastically, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, I'm taking time from other ministries that might need it more than just you to come and visit. Now that's not to say that pastor shouldn't visit. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that that's the culture mentality. It's the culture of, instead of me doing the work, the pastor does the work. I'm a receiver I, instead of that. And to me, I think that's part of it too, is changing that culture of a uh, culture of, I have to come here perfect. And, and I hate to say it. This is something I, because I grew up in churches where you wear suits. You know what I mean? Like you look nice. I hate to say it, but I think one of the bigger things is, is having a church where people can show up in whatever dress they deem appropriate. Disrespect, because here's the reality: you're not going to disrespect God. There is a way to disrespect God. It doesn't involve how you dress. Uh, it involves fruits and vegetables. Yes, uh, <laughs> but to me, I go when people, and this is and this is what fascinates me: when you have a Wednesday night service and people can show up in just jeans and a t-shirt, 
maybe not from the front, but at least in the audience, they are so much more willing to open up about their life and be real and give a testimony. Yep. I've almost never seen a, an open mic testimony time with people in church where A, it's real, or B, they talk about their struggles. Never. But you have that with jeans and a t-shirt, man. People will come up and tell you their life story and say, I am really, I'm not in a good place right now. I need your help. Yeah. Watch. And I go, so for me, I think it is, it's just creating that environment where people feel safe. And and it's it's... It allows that culture. What are you doing? And again, I'm not saying you have to change your church. Maybe you can't do it. Again, maybe you can't. Maybe you're working with a culture in your home church that won't do that. So how can you change that then? It's, it's about that mentality of how can, I, how can I create a culture that people feel safe, whatever that is. Yes, exactly. I agree. I think it and starts I, with I, you again. Yeah, and I think beyond that, I think the second, the, the other thing that churches should be doing is, and I've said this before on this podcast, I think our churches should be building positive relationships with local counselors, therapists, um, medical professionals, licensed. Um, I think pastors should be doing less life counseling and should be more outsourcing that to people who are professionally trained in that specific environment. Please say that again for the pastors in the back. Please say that a little bit louder. Make and people depend the... on you less. Basically, like that's maybe people depend less on the pastor. Um, Dude, I I think that would be huge to be. You're gonna do honest. less like, damage. Like I yeah. can't. Uh. So so another friend of mine came up and was talking about marriage counseling and how much damage control they've had to do in their marriage because they went to a really bad marriage counselor, and she, and she literally said to me, she's like, I I think that your marriage counselor should be an actual counselor, and I'm like, well, I think. I think a pastor can do it if they know, but know your skills. If you are not a good marriage counselor, find a good marriage counselor. If you're excellent at it and, and people come to you and they're like, wow, that was so amazing. Go for it. That's your strength. That's God's giving you that talent, but outsource it. And beyond that, even regular counseling, like unless you have actual, forget natural talent, but actual training in it, you could do some serious damage. Yes. Absolutely. And I think a lot more damage has been done by pastors, well-meaning pastors, but still pastors. And and honestly, I don't care how well-intentioned or well-meaning you are. If you do damage, you do damage. Yeah. Um, something is malicious. Malice is not determined by intent. I cannot like say that malice is not determined by intent. As someone who has personally experienced serious mental illness impacting his life in multiple ways, both in and out of the family, malice is not determined by intent. Malice is determined by actions and by ramifications, period. Uh, malice can be determined by intent, absolutely, but it's not always. To quote, to quote the, the great philosopher of our time, uh, Batman, it's not who you are inside, but what you do that matters. Wow. Was that a Bruce Tim Batman comic, or was that a... No, that's Batman Begins. That's oh, Nolan. Okay. It's a Chris Nolan. But it's, a, it's gotcha. the Nolan one. It is a, it yeah, is yeah, the, yeah, it's a Nolan. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Um, so I'm yeah, not I think those are, Burton on this. I'm not going to be quitting Tim Burton on that. No. So I, I think those are, I think that's a good place to, uh, you know, those are some good places to start. I do think a lot of it does. I, I know I'm yeah. putting it on the pastors. So I think the other thing too is is, is how do we make churches safe places to ask for help? Um, the other thing for listeners who a lot of you are just regular old lay members, 
which is a great thing, and I'm not putting you down for that. I'm You're the saying, most powerful part of our church. You're the most powerful. Church. How yeah. you respond to someone who asks for help in your life oh my gosh. Is, is incredibly important. And so I would... I would also say, because this is pretty cool, so a quick shout-out, because you don't even know the story. Um, at the year-end meetings, at the NAD year-end meetings, someone came up to my dad, and an elderly lady came up and thanked him so much for his podcast that he was on because she enjoyed it so much. And he was this very, year. Yeah, this year, just recently. And so like what, I don't know when we're going to post this, but like um, if this it goes in chronological order, it was three weeks ago. Um, yeah. Like she came up and thanked my dad for, <laughs> for that. And what? he very proudly said, that's actually my son. So, so elderly people are listening to, so to my children at heart, what? I wait, wait, what? Yeah, it was crazy. I was like, it's funny because almost every, you are, please reach out. I want to, yeah. I want to talk to you. Thank That's you. You're awesome. awesome. She said she loved it. Um, by the way, this is Tony Nubbly Jr. I should explain. I'm an MDiv student. I'm 28. Um, at the time in 2018, uh, <laughs> five years later. Wow. Tony's 28. Still That's 28? crazy. That is insane. Um, how did he do it? It's genetics. Uh, no. And good skincare. Maybe he's born with it. Um, no, but she mentioned this. So to, to all of our children at heart listeners, um, not only do you have value, you are one of the most powerful tools this church has, and you are being vastly underutilized. Go ask a young person for help. Watch how much difference I can do. As a young person, when an older person came and asked me and said, "Hey, Tony, can you help me with this?" I, I, I give them a chance to step up for you and watch how they react. Mm -hmm. As a pastor, I would go to my kids, "Hey, guys, I need your help on this." They would step up. They would do it for me. Now, some of them wouldn't because they were lazy little pieces of you know nastiness that I hated. No, I'm kidding. Uh, some of them wouldn't because they're lazy, you know, they're teenage boys, but the majority of them, the vast majority of them were like, it was the, it meant the world to them. It was so cool that they, like an adult and a pastor was asking them how cool for you, if you are listening to come up to a young person and be like, you know what? I'm really struggling with this. Can you, can you help me? That is so huge. And watch how they will. Vulnerability starts with you being open and vulnerable to them. Yep. Um, um, and I can, yeah, and yeah. I cannot stress enough the need that our generation, the meta modern millennial and Gen Z generations need for older mentors. Yep. Um, be the mentor that you never had or the mentor that you did have, you know, go step up, be there for these kids, help them out because not only are they looking for it, but they that that might be the reason why they stay in the church because they're they're struggling with things. I mean, they are struggling with things, and nobody's been open and vulnerable to them. So I think that's another yeah. way to do that. That you, uh, as an older member or a younger member, whatever, ask them for help. Be proactive about that as well. Um, one last thing I want to say about this, um, and then Tony, I'll, I'll let you have the last word here if you want. If not, we can end up what I say. Um, one thing you can do right now is if you're in the car and you're at a red light or you know, you're know you about to stop at a rest stop or you're about to arrive at your destination, if you're out jogging and you have your phone on you, if you're where, if you're at home, if you're in the shower, I don't know where you are. That's That one's a little weird. I really hope you're not listening to this in the shower. I mean, um, some people have those Bluetooth uh, speakers. Yeah, I have the Bluetooth speakers. So um, 
I, I, I would encourage you pull out your phone right now and text someone or call someone who is either plugged in at your church or someone that you know and ask them how they're doing and, and really ask them how they're doing and see, or find someone who, um, or, or think of someone who you know has been going through a hard time and reach out to them and see if they want to talk um, and, and block out some time now. What I don't want to say is, oh, we should all just be, you know, not let people just say good when they respond with how are you. I don't want to do that because everyone forgets. Yeah. If I can give you one concrete thing that you could do right now while you're listening to this episode is to pull out your phone and reach out to someone now. Um, I think that would be huge. And if you don't know who, one thing you can do uh, is pray and ask the Lord to reveal that to you. Yeah. Usually he does. Yeah. Usually, whoever it is, it may be a family member, it may be someone you haven't talked to in a long time, and you just say, hey, I don't know why, but I feel compelled to talk to you uh, and reach out, and I just want you to know I'm praying for you. If there's anything I can do for you, you know, is everything okay? Um, whatever it is, just just reach out and let them know that you love them, that you care for them, and that you're there for them. Um, I think that would be huge. And one more piece of advice there, I started doing this for people too. Everyone thinks their issue is the excuse to the if-you-need-to-talk-about-anything rule. Right. They, they think that, oh, yeah, sure, I can talk to you about anything except that thing. You know what I mean? Except for my thing. My yeah, thing is yeah, too big. Yeah. So one thing you can start doing is listing out all the things that are OK for them to talk to you about. Cast a really wide net, because if you hit their issue, then they don't get that excuse anymore because you've expressly given them the OK without actually revealing that, you know, anything uh, because you don't. Or maybe you do, I don't know. But you've, you've given them the okay to say, yes, I can talk to this person about this problem. So there's something intensely practical that you can do right this second before the episode's even finished. I really, for a split second, thought you were going to say, pull out your phones and leave us a review for our <laughs> podcast. That's the best thing. I was like, wow, that was a great segue. Um, no, that would be terrible. That would, that would, I thought that would be the that'll worst. That'll help our mental, I mean, will, that'll, help will, our, that'll, that'll help our mental states. Um, uh, yeah, as you're driving, just pull out your phone. Yeah, right next to a cop. Um I mean, I think you hit it all. I think the, the big things I want people to walk away from this is we all need healing. We all need help. God's given us places to, uh, to, to, to get help, and the church should be one of those places. And if you are struggling with something, as we've said in these other episodes, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help. Please don't. Um, and I know it, is, it, is, it got me through an incredibly—it was one of the things— that helped get me through an incredibly dark time. Prayer, the Holy Spirit, a good community, support, and counseling helped me get through um, and, and an amazing amount, a, a ridiculous amount of scripture um, helped me get through one of the darkest times of my life. And, I, and it was a dark, dark place. Um, because God ultimately wants to bring healing to everybody, to you, to the people in your church. And the way he's, he, he has no hands but ours. Um, He's given us the privilege of being able to, to help bring that healing process. And so be proactive about it. Um, go out, be proactive about what your church is being known for. And is it a place of healing? Is it a place of refuge, a place where people come and feel safe and, and can, can know that these things that they're struggling with, they have hope and light at the end of the tunnel? Or is it the place where they have to hide those struggles and, pretend, and deal with them on their own? I was listening to a series on relationships um, recently by Michael Todd, fantastic series. If, if you don't know, he's a pastor at Transformation Church in Tulsa. And, and one of the things he mentioned in, in that sermon series is the thing that God, that Satan can isolate, he can also destroy. 
And so that's why Satan wants, the enemy wants to isolate us from each other. Don't let that happen. Go out, reach out, talk to somebody. Don't expect instant results, just like with counseling. <laughs> you know, it may take some time to build into people. They may need to see that you are truly investing in them, but do that because I think it'll just make a world of difference. Yep. Could not agree more. Um, let's end on that. I think that's a good place to end. Um, and, you know, if you're in a place where you need help, please reach out to someone that you trust. Um, if you don't trust anyone, then reach out to us um, and we'll do what we can. I can't make any promises, obviously, um, but uh, reach out to us and, and I'll try and do what I can. Tony will try to do what he can. Um, in fact, I'm going to put that first before the subscription stuff. Uh, you can email me, ryan180becker at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter uh, at ryan180becker or Tony's Twitter is Tony underscore nobly and and then tony if you want to provide an email or something that they can reach out to that's yeah, absolutely too. uh you can get a hold of me at antonio a at andrews.edu um that's antonio a-n-t-o-n-i-o-a at andrews.edu um yeah email me i try to check it every single day um i might not um and like i said my dms alert me right away so yeah if you if you get on you know just it really quickly just set up a twitter account um you can access it even from a laptop um, and just send me a DM, um, or on Facebook, you know, Facebook messenger. Um, you know, we want to help you guys out too, if you're struggling with something, even if you just want to, you know, talk and, and have an ear, yep. um, you know, we are the church, we are the church yep. body and you know, we're talking about unity a lot recently. This is one of the ways we're unified is just by helping each other out. Yep. Um, and to our mental health counselor friends, if you heard something yes, here that please. was especially dangerous, or harmful or, or contact us anyway, because we want to hook you up with people. Oh, yeah. Like we want to be able yeah. to know. That, yeah. But yeah, well, uh, but yeah, also if we can correct anything, please let us know. But, or if, yeah, if I need to pull this episode for some terrible reason, please let me know too. Um, but um, yeah, we, we, and I would love to hear from you too. I know of someone already that I'm going to reach out to after this and, and ask if they want to be on the show, but um, yeah, for sure. Anyone listening to this, you're welcome to be on. If you're in that sphere, we'd love to talk about this more for sure, and get some experts in here too. Um, but with that, if you want to subscribe to Absurdity, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other podcatching app. Um, if you do subscribe to us on iTunes, please, please, please leave a review. Uh, reviews help us, not just ratings, but reviews as well. Both help, honestly. But uh, yeah, We're good with, we're good uh, with but both. Ratings and reviews. You can find us on theabsurdity.org. Both, both, both. both. Let's do both. Both um, is good. Theabsurdity.org patreon.com slash absurdity podcast to support us financially. And uh, just thank you guys so much for being a part of this journey with us. Uh, I know that this podcast has been therapeutic for me, not just this episode, but like this was, this podcast played a huge role in helping me survive the isolation of the last couple of years. So um, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for all of you being on this journey with us. Um, you know, we love this. We love doing this. Tony, thank you for being a part of this as well. Um, it's, I love this. I'm so privileged to be able to do this every week. Absolutely, man. Sure. I feel the same way. So. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Today's episode of absurdity is sponsored by the haystack. The haystack is a voice for young adults in the seventh day Adventist church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more to check them out. Go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.